Brody, we got Elsa on the line. What do you want to ask her? How did you find your team members to build this this real estate team? Shortly after I joined a mentorship program with Rod Cleef, I went to a lot of his events and I did a lot of networking. They have weekly meeting. They have weekly call. So that's when I met the, the folks. You're going to have to talk to them enough, test out their personality to see if it's a good fit for you. This is the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast, and I'm your host, Brian Briscoe. Now, this podcast is designed for the aspiring apartment investor and literally gives them the opportunity to ask the questions that will help them get to the next level. So if you're an aspiring apartment investor, this podcast is for you. Now, this podcast is brought to you by the Tribe of Titans Multifamily Educational Community. It's your one-stop shop for learning how to succeed at apartment investing. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. I'm your host, Brian Briscoe. I'm very excited for today's show. It's another one of our Ask the Expert episodes, and I always get excited when, when we have another Ask the Expert episode. But I've got two amazing people on the line with us today. we got Elsa Nguyen and Brody Garcia. And Elsa, how close was I on that last name? Oh, you were quite, that's like 90% there, so you're good. <laughs> good, 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 good. Yes. So um, first of all, thanks for being on the show today. I very much appreciate your time and it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. So. Well, thank you. Thank you to Brian for having us on the show. Super excited. Absolutely. Thanks. All right. So let's let's start talking about you. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of weave a tale of you know where, where you come from and how you got into apartment investing. Thank you, Brian. So, yeah. So I um, came from a uh, real estate accounting background and um, worked in accounting for about 20 years. Started out as a staff accountant since 2000 or 1999. Mm -hmm. And I had a real estate license on the side because I just wanted to kind of make side income um, alongside with my full time job. But fast forward 15 years into it, I decided to quit my W2 job because I really loved real estate. And as I got more involved in real estate, I discovered that it's more fun to buy properties for yourself than for other people. Yeah, so, right. <laughs> and that's when I kind of just switched. I did my first syndication uh, in night. 2019, and it was not a, an apartment syndication. It was a hotel syndication. And uh, apparently, you know, hotel hospitality came to a crash during COVID. And I uh, shipped geared over to apartment syndication. And I don't think I'm going to go back. Yeah. You know, I I shifted gears to apartments and I'm, I'm not going back at all myself. So, um, so something you said, I, I think a lot of people that have been in, in, in your seat on this podcast have had like similar realizations that it's it's a lot better to buy you know real estate for yourself than it is to help other people buy it or be be transactional in it you know it's it's i see many many people who are on the fringes of real estate or involved in real estate in another capacity who eventually one day are just like i'm on the wrong side of this you know i need to be on the buyer side exactly um, exactly that, that, that's awesome so Real estate finance into real estate um, via other, you know, a couple of different ways. But um, so let's let's talk about you know the the process of of going full time or go, or moving into um, 
buying properties. How did you navigate that, you know, going from your related field into the buying field? Mm-hmm. Um, was in the beginning, it was more of a transition. Mm-hmm. So I was still doing transaction at the same time, started mm-hmm. to look into uh, real estate. And I did sign up to be on a, a, a mentorship program because mm-hmm. I figured that I need to be surrounded myself with people like you, Brian, who could just mentor me through the process. And I remember the very first deal that I tried to take out by myself, it was a 37 units property in Gainesville, Florida. Mm-hmm. And I tried to do, I didn't even know there are underwriting models out there that you can use to underwrite. So here I am thinking that with my accounting background, that's all I need, right? So I try to underwrite my own number, project the returns and so on and so forth, building my own Excel model. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks God that deal didn't, well, you know, I take that back. It was supposed, it, it, w- it would have been a really good deal had I able to close this. I couldn't close this because I was trying to take it down on my own. Mm-hmm. And um, so when I couldn't close that deal, I decided that I need to invest some money into a mentorship program. I listened to a lot of podcasts. I listened to you back then. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm like, you know what? I, I probably need more than this. Yeah. So that's when I kind of spent some money, got a mentor. And since then until now, I have acquired over 200 doors in. You know, I I chuckled when you talked about that because I remember um, I was dead set on buying something. I was going to do the same thing. I was going to use my own money, go out and buy things. And right. um, this would have been 2018. So realistically, whatever I bought would have worked. Exactly. You know? um, but uh, I remember walking out of an eight unit, you know, and that's what I felt I could afford and thinking, oh my gosh, how do I know if this is even going to be a good deal? You know, and I was, I was exactly the same as you. I, I didn't have an underwriting model of my own. I didn't know how to model that anything, the expenses, right. the incomes. And it was just like, I mean, I looked at the property. It looked nice. How do I know if this is a great deal? And right. that was the same trigger I had to like, mm, I'm going to do mentoring, you know, and yeah. it took me a while to make, make uh, sense of that. But uh, anyway, yeah, same, very, very similar. Uh, <laughs> and I, it all worked out. It worked out. Yeah. Exactly. And now you are a coach and mentor uh, with, uh, with Brock Cleef, right? That's right. Awesome. Now, were you at the Rod Cleef boot camp in Los Angeles in January 2020 by chance? Because I was there. I was doing hospitality at the time. That's when okay. I was at the other conference. <laughs> okay. Got it. Got it. So. Anyway, I just figured that there'd, there'd be a small chance that we we may have been in the same. I think room. that was uh, his last conference before COVID. It, right? yeah, it was. It was and January 2020, and um, there there were a couple of people. I remember um, it was before like the mask mandates and everything. But I, I do mm-hmm. remember getting on the plane and seeing like a half a dozen people wear masks, and I was just like, "What's this?" <laughs> I still remember that day when we were at the. Uh, hospitality conference it's actually in LA and I remember I flew in I was on the same sky uh, the day that uh, Kobe Bryant airplane mm-hmm. crash mm-hmm. so I think that was in February and we were in the same space I remember the cloud and everything mm-hmm. and as soon as I landed they go Kobe Bryant died I'm like what <laughs> so yeah. going back and that was I think right about the same time with, with um, Rod Cliff's event in LA 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So we were in the same city at the same time. So there, there we go. <laughs> um, well, cool. So let's, let's talk a, a little bit about um, what I like to call the big burning why, you know, what's, what's your motivation for doing what you do for, for chasing apartments and for being successful. So my, my big, my biggest why Brian is that I just, so I came from um, a, a poverty let's put it that way so I had like a pair of flip-flop growing up and I grew up in Vietnam I immigrated to this country when I was 13 Mm -hmm. and growing up my dad was on the you know my my dad was fighting in the war but he was on the Republican side so of course when the communists took over he went to jail and all that Mm -hmm. so I was very very poor we were very poor and because I came from poverty I have a heart for the, the poor people that left behind in Vietnam. And that's my biggest why. I figure even if I make, you know, four or $500,000 a year in commission with my uh, 1099 job, mm-hmm. I feel like the skies, there, there is a, there's, a, um, there's a cap on how much money I can make in order for me to go back and to do the things that God had called me to do. So that's when I fell and I just took a leap of faith and I decided to go into something where I know that I could potentially earn so much more. So the sky is pretty much the limit depending yeah. on how, how hard I'm willing to work. And then hopefully my, my why is that I would be able to channel that, you know, use that as a vehicle to, help with whatever I can or God called me to help. So that's my biggest why is that I, I want to make more so I can give more. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, now that's something that I'm, I'm always cognizant of is uh, I've, I grew up in a middle-class home thinking that I was poor, right? Because yeah. my parents didn't buy me a Nintendo, which is, you know, completely, you know, wrong and crazy you know i didn't have the nintendo the nes the original one all my friends mm-hmm. did you know and then i i spent a couple of years in chile and I've, I've been to you know 40 different countries and seen true poverty myself yeah. and it's, it's one of those things where it's like you know um you know in, in the philippines i remember uh to the philippines and in, in a couple of countries in africa I remember people going through the dumpsters looking for, food. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. the food that we threw away, they're going through the dumpsters looking, you know, and it's just right. like, Oh my goodness. You know, so, right. you know, it struck a, yeah, I think, I think that's something we're, we're aligned with is, you know, trying to give back to the people who are really poor and not, exactly. uh, um, not the poor that I thought I was when I was, you know, nine or 10 years old. But, uh, right. um, anyway, very much appreciate you sharing that. Um, so speaking of making a lot of money and, and giving back, let's talk about the, the making the money part. Now, let's let's talk about one of the deals or, or projects you've been involved with. Can you tell us um, about one of the one of the. Um, yeah, tell us about one of your deals. Sorry about that. Stumbled on my words a little bit, but tell us about one of your deals. Of course. Thank you. Um, right. So, you know, it's as we are, we, we are know. You know, real estate syndication is a uh, is a team sport. So you know, we none of none of us can do this by ourselves. But um, uh, the way it works is, you know, like we have uh, a sponsor, and then we have other team member, and then we have investor who work alongside with us, and we take a property. Um, and I focus on value add property, which, um, for example, one of the property that we closed last year in in uh, Pennsylvania, 
Uh, it's a 60 units property, and we purchased that for uh, roughly about $4.3 million. Mm-hmm. They, um, the the value add plan for that property is to increase the rent because obviously the rent were about $100 under market, and um, they are, the uh, the owner is also paying for um waters, which I think when I look at the water bill, it's uh, two times more than what I would pay for 60 units of pregnant. So our value add plan was that, and I'm working on this right now, is that when we, um, and this is um, probably more than half of them are student housing. So we go into this transition right now where we put a new tenants in there and I increase the rent, anything between 75 to $100 per unit. Mm-hmm. And I also make them pay for the water instead yeah. of us paying for the water. We actually, I'm pa- actually passing the whole bill to them instead of doing a rough system where you bill back, you know, $25 or $50 a month. Mm-hmm. So by saving $100 in water and increasing their rent uh, about $75, that dramatically increased the values of the property. And if you do the math, uh, which I already did ahead of time, uh, if if I'm able to uh, stabilize the assets, I would increase the values of the property from 4.3 to around Uh 7.3. So, and that's going to take three to five years. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, So, you know, and then of course, with the money that, that we uh, and what I love about that one is that I'm picking up a property that cash flow in at 100% occupancy. So I do have the ability to pay the distribution to our investor every month. Right? right. I'm not betting on the appreciation play only. So they they get paid every quarter. And on the other hand, I'm working on um, uh, increasing uh, revenue as well as, as well as reducing expense. And um, hopefully in three years, you know, we can stabilize the assets and sales. And of course, you know, when we sell it, our investor also get a bulk of that, uh, that appreciation. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one, one thing that I really love about apartment investing is, is the way you can force the value to go up and right. um, you've done it through a combination of increasing your income and decreasing your expenses. And mm-hmm. the, the utilities is a, is a easy way to, to take a a big chunk out of your expense lines. And I think a lot of people across the nation, it's been a trend over the last couple of years where, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, it was common for the apartment owners to pay for utilities, you know, as one of the perks of of being at the unit. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of apartment owners are are shifting the responsibility to tenants. So it's, it's, it's widespread and it's, it's something that if you find something, you find a property that is, is still on the, you know, owner pays utilities model. It's a really easy value add program right there. Mm-hmm. So, I, um, I agree with you. Yeah. So that said, um, what's next for you? Um, looking for my next property. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So just keep going. Um, I am quite, you know, conservative with what I'm, of course, the priority is to stabilize the assets that we have right now. Mm-hmm. So that's like a bulk of my time. I don't, we don't buy property and just leave it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we work very closely with our property managers to mm-hmm. implement our value add plans. But on the other hand, I do carve out time to uh, look for our next acquisition as well. So my plan is just keep going. I, I don't plan to stop anytime soon. 
rinse and repeat, you know, yep. is all it is, you know, just like mm-hmm. the, the shampoo bottles, which it, I think is probably one of the um, most interesting things. If you really think about that phrase, and I'm going to digress, but if you think about that phrase, you don't have to rinse and repeat when you use shampoo, but they put that on the bottle and everybody rinses and repeats. It's just like, boom, one of the brilliant, uh, brilliant ways to make a lot of money. That's a value mm-hmm. add phrase right there. But <laughs> Rinse and repeat. That's rinse right. And repeat, right. But <laughs> Love uh, that. anyway, shifting gears, Brody, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'm very excited. I'm excited. Excited to have you. I think uh, we, we've been waiting for a while to get you on the show and, uh, um, just, just for everybody's, uh, benefit, um, his wife was on the show a couple months ago, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think a month and a half ago, a month and a half ago. So, uh, we'll, we'll put a link to that, that, that episode in the show notes for anybody to, to grab it. But, uh, Alex Kingman, and I should have had this in, at my fingertips. Um, do you remember who she was on with? Uh, it was, uh, Mike, um, I remember he's a hotel syndicator. Uh, oh, Mike Stoller. Yes. That was a fun one. That was a really fun one. So, um, yeah, Mike Stoller and Alex Kingman. So if you guys are interested in learning more about, uh, you know, his business partner and life partner, you know, check out that episode. But, you know, Brody, um, I will say she did an amazing job in her first podcast. So, you know, here we go. Let's see how you do. Right. Yeah. Follow that one up. Yeah. No pressure. No pressure at all. The pressure is on Brody. Yeah. (laughs) I feel good in the pressure. All right. So here we go. See if you're up to it. Brody. Easy question. I'm going to throw you a softball. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So uh, just my background. So uh, I'm going to go a little far back. So I was growing up, uh, my dad was kind of in and out of prison and stuff. And uh, um, I was kind of walking the same footsteps, not really doing the right things. And I ended up having my daughter when I was 16 years old in high school. Um, and then after that, I started cleaning up my act a little bit. And I knew I didn't want to be like my dad. <laughs> uh, so. Um, but I, I decided that if, if I could buy a house, mm-hmm. when, if I could buy a house, my parents still don't own a house. If I could buy a house, I'd be set. Be yeah. it. You know what I mean? If I can make, hit that goal, especially living in South Bay area, you know, South mm-hmm. San Francisco, not very cheap. So, uh, I just worked my butt off. I, I got into the trades, worked as an electrician and, uh, bought my first house when I was 21. Nice. And, uh, yeah. so I've been. We did a addition on that. We live in a granny unit that had bedrooms on. We do a house hack there. Uh, and then I just started getting into the real estate. It's like, well, I, I bought the house. I'm like, well, now what? Yeah. <laughs> I made it, I guess. Um, so we started buying out of state. We got uh, a couple of multifamilies, uh, some single families, and some properties with JVs on. Mm-hmm. Um, and just doing that, it's like, uh, I just realized that doing one house at a time is uh, going to take me a while. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I think everybody hits that the, the realization. But I mean, first of all, I mean, congratulations, you know, buying a house in anywhere in California, any anytime in your 20s. I mean, uh, prices there are, are pretty, pretty ridiculous compared to the rest of the nation. So um, good on you. And I, I know, you know, we talked with Alex about a little bit of the portfolio, too. And I know you've got a couple of different uh, properties in, in two different states. So yeah. Um, you know, great job so far. You know, it's, it's fun to see. It's going to be fun to see how, how far you guys go. But uh, um, also, I, I think, you know, good on you for realizing, you know, what path you were on. You know, I think, um, you know, some people are, are fortunate to have parents that show them the right way and some people aren't. And you were one that uh, was able to recognize 
that you weren't on the right path and needed to make changes. So, you know, uh, my hat's off to you for that as well. But uh, um, so let's talk a little, little deeper on this one. And we're going to get to the big burning why question. You know, what is your burning why? So, I mean, first off, it's going to be that my little girl, Katie. Um, I mean, in the video, you see it's her bed right behind me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's that's a big part of my life. Um, and now also, too, just uh, one of the things I realized doing that JV with uh, one of my coworkers, you know, he's a middle class guy. He makes decent wages, live in the Bay Area, but doesn't know anything about investing. All he does, he saves his money, you know, just doesn't spend it. And uh, the just the the happiness I see from him when he's like, oh, I appreciate it so much, you know, when I can give him, you know, hey, here's your money. Here's your rent check. And uh, that that's just uh, a big, big reason right there, too, just being able to help people. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Help helping people is, you know, like, like I said earlier, I, I don't know if we were recording when I said this, but uh, you know, if you're if you're just doing it for the money, you know, a lot of times it's it's not, you know, people are like flashes in the pan, they fizzle out really quickly. If you've got that big burning why attached, and especially if it's helping others that are close to you, I think people tend to be they have a lot more longevity in in whatever they're doing. And that's that's part of the reason why I ask it and um, you know, once again, happy that uh, happy to hear when people are trying to give back and help other people. So um, that said, Brody, we got Elsa on the line. What do you want to ask her? So trying to get to be where you're at. Uh, one of the questions I did want to ask is, how are you find, How did you find your team members to build this this real estate team? That's a really good question, Brody. Mm-hmm. It took me. Um, Shortly after I joined a mentorship program with Rod Cleef, I went to a lot of his events and I did a lot of networking, whether um, they have weekly meeting, they have weekly call. So that's when I met the, the folks. And then when I went to those uh, real estate events that he hosted, uh, met, the per- met the people in person. And you're going to have to... Um, talk to them enough, test out their personality to see if it's a good fit for you. So I found one <laughs> that kind of, so I, I think Brian, you met with Garrison. So yep. he was the first partner that I work with. And yep. then from there, we uh, we kept on, you know, it's just like it, it comes when we start working with them. So like for my Pennsylvania property, um, that's when I found two more partners. Because when I, uh, when we were going through the transition and the property manager dropped the ball, some of my team members step up and say, let me help you. And then I saw how hard they work. I saw their work ethics. And I told them that I want you to be on my team forever. <laughs> so that's just kind of how it is. You just have to to plant, play it out, go out there, meet them, work with them, test the personality, see if it's a good fit for you, the work ethics. Right. And then from there on, you just continue to be on your team. Yeah. And, and for me, it was it was very similar, just a different coaching program. You know, we were we were doing calls. We had access to you know other people who were in the program um, You know, to, to generalize. You know, I think you, you find groups where there's a high probability of people with similar mindsets and similar goals and just start talking to people. Um, what I ended up doing is we got my first property under contract and the guys that we that I had partnered with on that deal, we decided, hey, we like each other. We're aligned. We want to go in the same direction. And, you know, there we go. And uh, we, we've done nine deals together and we're we're splitting up now and going different directions. But uh, 
you know, the next partnership that I'm in and been exploring that for a while has been this very similar. It's been very much um, put, putting myself in rooms with a lot of other people who want to do the same thing. And that's, that's kind of the recipe is, you know, uh, obviously you have to add some value as well, but right. first step is to put yourself in the right room. Right. And find somebody that can complement your weakness. Cause I believe in emphasizing your strength rather than trying to improve our weaknesses. So we know what our strengths are. Mm-hmm. And instead of try someone who is, have the same strength as our, maybe find someone because syndication is a sport team, right? There's so many hats uh, in the deal. So if you wear one hat, find someone else that can wear other hats that you don't have the skill set to. And yep. uh, I would look for that so then you can complement each other. Yep, absolutely. absolutely. Okay, so just to reiterate so that I, uh, I make sure I understand this. So you're saying basically get, get in a room with people that are similar and that are looking for the same thing, right? And then look for people that complement your weaknesses mm-hmm. and add value. Exactly. That's it. Okay. Well, perfect. It's kind of rolling right into my next question. So <laughs> how does someone like me add value to someone like you guys that when I want, when I'm looking for a partner or, or someone to work on my team? It's a good question. Elsa, you get to go first on that one. <laughs> it's easy way well, out, so. <laughs> uh, to me, Brody, I would probably need to get to know you a little bit more because mm-hmm. As of now, I really don't know what your strengths are, right? I don't know what your superpower is or are. So we would probably need to spend a little bit more time together so I know what it is that you're good at. And then from there, we can uh, continue to establish a build on that relationship and and fill in each other. So that's kind of, that's what I would probably do is to spend a little bit more time with you and your wife and and see how we can work together. Yeah. I think relationships are, are probably the most important thing. You know, you have to be able to build the relationship, you know, but mm-hmm. at the same time, there, there's got to be the value proposition, you know, and I, I'll, I'll tack this from the other angle. Um, I mean, Elsa probably nailed the, the most important thing, but the value proposition, I think there's, there's two big currencies that make this market move deals and money, you know, so if, if you can bring deals or you can bring money to the table, you're, you're going to be able to find people who are willing to partner with you. Okay. So you, uh, again, just to reiterate, make sure I explain this. So you're saying, uh, Elsa, you're saying that basically you, uh, partner with someone, you need to build that rapport and that relationship Mm -hmm. with them and really get to know them and see if you can even team up or, or do you, we have the same strengths. Right. Right. So how, um, so how would I even, cause I would imagine you guys are probably are busy. <laughs> I'm sure you guys got lots of projects going on and things going on. Um, would I, how would I be able to like bring that value proposition right out the gate? So if for example, right now, and we're trying to get things going, I mean, we're reaching out to everyone we know, we're trying to get soft commits. We're trying to get that, um, the, the money that Brian spoke about. Um, is that like before that, how do I, uh, how do I get in front of people like, like you guys that are uh, doing this kind of thing? Uh, that's a really good, that's a really good point, Brody. Um, it's <laughs> <laughs> like the chicken, the egg a little bit. I, like I want to be able to go to people and say, Hey, I got this deal and I have this team, but I need right. to go to the team members. I don't have the deal or the money yet. So 
Yeah. So like for me, what I would do is that I will, uh, there's our networking events out there that you may want to just show up whether in person or in Zoom, get to, when you talk to the people, generally they'll share with you what they're working on, right? So if you hear from somebody on one of the Zoom call or at one of your networking event that they're trying to take down a deal in wherever, then you can come and you can talk to them and, you know, just maybe show them that you are interested in working with them. And uh, like Ryan say, maybe the easiest way for anyone to get into a deal as a GP is to bring in capital, mm-hmm. right? So if you don't have, if you can't find a deal, then you can bring in money and you can go talk to the person and say, hey, you know what? Can I help you by raising capital to mm-hmm. in exchange for a, a GP spot? And, um, but you know, like I, because of my accounting background, I'm very careful with uh, with the numbers. So I would underwrite and underwrite and underwrite before I even bring in any investors into the deal. Because at the end of the day, we're responsible. We're, you know, we're the face, right? We are the investor relation. So some way, somehow we are responsible for the person that we bring into the deal. Mm-hmm. So I, I would nail that underwriting first to make sure that, you know, the deal is right. And um probably do a little bit of research on the sponsor as well <laughs> um, before you commit. But yeah, you got to put us, yourself out there and, and, and meet people. That's probably the, the easiest way to, to fight, to get yourself into a, a deal. Yeah. It's something I've noticed. And, and, you know, a lot of times I kind of reflect on, on what, how I got to where I, I, I am right now. And I didn't know how to add value to other people at first. I didn't know how I fit in. But the more that I talked to other people about what they were doing, and this podcast really helped a lot, you know, listening to other people on podcasts helps, but really talking to other people, you get an idea of how they're fitting into deals, you know, especially people who've just done their first deals, you know, you can talk with them and and see how many different hats people wear, how many, how many ways people have gotten themselves into their first deal. And that that a lot of times will help you realize, okay, this is how they're applying their skills. I have a skill, similar skill set. Maybe this works as well. Um, and then the, the flip side is as you're as you're talking with people with more experience, you can always ask them, you know, what they need. You know, what are your pain points? Mm-hmm. You know, be, before we started recording, I was talking about uh, you know the the guy who record who edits the podcast he's got it written down right here yeah he (laughs) sent me he sent me a a note on linkedin which i usually ignore and he happened to hit it at just the right point to where he was addressing one of my pain points you know and so if you can find how to address somebody's pain points and, and make their pain points go away that's probably the easiest way to get in you know so when you're talking to experienced investors, just ask them, Hey, what, what type, what do you need? You know, what, what type of work do you you know need to get done that you're not able to do? And then if it's something you can, you can fix or help with jump in and do it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you. I appreciate that. I got a, my next question is going to be, uh, what is one of the, like, what is, what do you guys see in people that try to get into this business that causes them to fail? Mm, good question. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I'll, 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 I'll take that question first, Brian. Uh, I think there are a, a number of reasons. Um, and probably the first thing that come to my mind is that they did not vet, they over-exaggerate the numbers and they didn't vet the deals carefully. So it could be definitely too aggressive when they underwrite a deal and they cannot turn the deal around the way that they had projected uh, for it to be. So maybe they think that they could get um, an upsize and rent of $200 per unit where they can only get $100, for example, right? The, the neighborhood, a lot of people think that, oh, I can turn around this apartment in a D neighborhood and I can make it a C, but changing the neighborhood is very difficult. Right. So you could change, you could possibly change a uh, the apartment, but the neighborhood is hard to change. So you would probably always draw on the same number of the same kind of tenants. If it's in a day neighborhood, you will get D tenants. So keep that in mind. Um, we don't want to be too, you know, like I know a lot of um, investors or sponsors out there think that they could potentially do that, but I find it to be very difficult. So that could be another failure. And one of a personal lesson that I've learned is um, you gotta watch what the property managers do because they're the one who help us with our plan and they don't execute it according, accordingly. Uh, we don't, if we don't watch what they spend, um, if we don't do our research on say, you know, they could say, going to cost me $5,000 to paint this apartment, which you can find someone else to do it for $2,000. If you can just, if you just go by that and don't do your homework and you're going to, you're going to find yourself in a hole, right? Mm -hmm. So those are some of the things that I could think of right now. It's a lot of work. I mean, you know, it's not easy. You don't buy and you leave it. It's a lot of work. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. When, when, you, when you go with that lower bid, you're going to, uh, yeah. When you say you're going to find yourself in a world of hurt, if you have a $5,000 bid and a $2,000 bid and you take the $2,000 bid, you're going to end up with a really crappy paint job. But uh, <laughs> there, I, I'll go back. So, so your question, you know, what, what, what kind of leads to success, but there's, there's a reason I ask the question about big burning wise on this podcast. And that's because I think that's probably the most important thing in somebody's road to success is to have that why burning in their soul so that, you know, and, and it's hard. It's a lot of work there. There's a lot of things that could potentially go wrong. There's a lot of things you have to learn, but if you have that big burning why, it's going to give you what you need to get through all of that. You know, it's going to give you the the incentive, the motivation to to take the next step and to keep on pushing forward. So if I had to boil it down to one thing, it's you have to have a really strong why, because there's going to be a lot of stuff thrown at you. Okay. Yeah, no, that's... Uh... I mean, you know, you got to be able to walk through the fire. Yeah. Now, and then, uh, so Elsa, when you're talking about trying to change the neighborhoods, that that's a big no-no, a big red flag. I'm guessing. I, I don't attempt to. Yeah. <laughs> and then, when you when you're saying people are vetting their deals aggressively, is, are you saying they're not being conservative and they're just like, oh, you know, what? I could probably get this much for it, and not being conservative on their numbers? Is that yeah. what you're saying? And I, I've, I've, I've talked to um, a lot of sponsors and their number one uh, mistake that they make 
is from what I've heard is that they're under budgeted their capex expense. Mm-hmm. So when they put the deal together, they estimate that they're going to need five hundred thousand dollars, and it turns out to be a million dollars, right? Okay. So what are you going to do now that you're five hundred thousand dollars short? Uh, you're going to need a capital call, or it it wouldn't be nice, you know, when you're when you're already, you know, already closed the deal. And so those are the things that um, we have to be really careful before we close the deal is to do our due diligence. You got to do that walkthrough. We need to have all the inspection that we need to make sure that we can get as accurate as we can to the number. So then you don't, you know, uh, get yourself in the situation where you need to go back to the investor and ask for more money. Yeah. And, and along those same lines, you know, what we've seen in the last couple of years is uh, prices for your CapEx have skyrocketed, you know, and mm-hmm. um, I, I think a lot of people who bought properties wow. in 2018, 2019, you know, have had issues with their capital, their their CapEx dollars not going as far as they thought they would, you know, so right. um, we are in a high inflation environment. Well, high for the U.S. I, I know a lot of countries have had, you know, triple and quadruple digit inflation, but uh, um we're in a fairly high inflation environment. So when you're using your CapEx dollars, you know, if, if it looks like you can get something done for, you know, a unit renovated for 12 or 12, five, you might want to budget an extra, you know, 10% or 15% to account for the rising costs and account for some of the unexpected things. So I, I would be a lot more conservative on the CapEx dollars now than, than I was two years ago because, um, because of what, what we know is happening in the economy. Right. So we are about out of time. So um, I'm going to have one last question for each of you, and then we'll wrap things up. Um, Elsa, you get to go first on this question, and it's how can listeners learn more about you? Uh, So thank you, Brian. And I have a um, I could be found on LinkedIn or Facebook under my name, Elsa Nguyen. And I also have a website. So my website is called sunriseequitypartners.com. So if you want to learn more about our company, you can either visit our website or just reach out to me on LinkedIn or Facebook. Okay, sounds good. And we'll put uh, links to that in the show notes. And Brody, same question for you. How can listeners learn more about you? So best for me would have my email. It's Brody, B-R-O-D-Y, 109 at Gmail. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just shoot me over an email if you want to talk about real estate or are interested. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> All right. Perfect. Sounds good. Well, thanks to both of you for coming on the show today. It was a lot of fun. Um, a lot of good uh, questions, Brody. And um, I'll let you and, and Alex decide, you know, who had a better first presentation. I'm going to call <laughs> it a draw. But uh, um, anyway, thanks to both of you for coming on. Thank you so much, Brian, for the time as well. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast by the Tribe of Titans. If you're still listening, you obviously liked it. So go ahead and subscribe to the podcast, leave a five-star rating and review if you haven't already, and then make sure to check out our YouTube channel, which incidentally has a ton of video content that you'll also enjoy and learn from. Now, if you're interested in being on the show, 
go to our website, diaryofanapartmentinvestor.com and fill out the questionnaire on the website. And for more educational content and for more information about our educational community, check us out at thetribeoftitans.info.